Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe this message will encourage you, it will inspire you, and it'll help you live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. We want you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith, not have supernatural moments, but have it as a lifestyle. So we put all of this content out for you to receive so you can grow and live the life that Jesus made available for you. To find more information about our ministry and our resources, you can visit us at FCCGA.com or you can download our Faith Plus app. Our Faith Plus app has thousands of hours of faith building content and it's available in your app store right now. Open your heart. God's going to share something special to you through this message. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. The title of my message today is Rich and Righteous? Question mark. Rich and Righteous. And I want to read in Job chapter 1 and verse 1. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. You can definitely follow along in the King James or whatever translation you have. It says, There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uts. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity, perfect and upright. Sounds to me like he was righteous. Anybody agree with that? The Bible calls him blameless, calls him perfect and upright. He's living right. In fact, it continues to say here that he feared God and stayed away from evil. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Would anybody say he's rich? He's not just you know, the richest in the neighborhood. He's the richest in that whole region. In fact, I believe the King James Version says in the east. So we have here a man who was rich and righteous before God. And many of us know his story. We know he went through a very difficult season, but God brought him out. Anybody glad God's the God that brings us out? And when God brought him out, he was once again righteous, and then God gave him double what he had. So he was once again rich. Many of us are struggling financially. Uh, we're in a bad economy, despite what the media likes to say. You know, we know interest rates are up. We know gas prices are up. We know it costs more money to get bread and milk and things along those lines. Many of us just have regular expenses that we're dealing with. We're trying to provide for our families, trying to provide for our children. Some of us are facing some pretty difficult financial realities. Maybe you're suffering under crushing debt. Maybe you're hiding or, or avoiding those calls from the bill collectors. Anybody ever avoid the calls from the bill collectors? You know, you see that number on your phone, you're like, I ain't answering that. No, I know who that is. And for those of us who are believers, uh, we, some of us find ourselves in a position where we want to give. We want to, to be a blessing. When we find there is need, we want to meet that need, but we simply don't have it to give. And in the middle of this, or because of this, we recognize that we need help. We need God to prosper us. Would anybody agree with that statement? You need God to prosper you. But in our country in particular, there is a lot of confusion right now about prosperity. There's, of course, people who are attacking ministers that preach what the Bible says about prosperity. They've come up with a derogatory term, prosperity gospel. In fact, I happened to come across a tweet maybe two days ago when this guy was he was tweeting out all the ministers he considered evil. And he was given the, the label, he was putting a label on each of them why he considered them evil. And many of them, of course, they were the biggest, most successful ministers. And they had prosperity gospel as the label. And so there's real question of, well, you know, does God even want us to have money? Does God want us rich? Or some are asking, well, does God want me just to have enough? Or does he want me to have too much? And it's hard to receive anything from God when you're not clear on what God wants. And so today, I believe it's my assignment to take a moment and look at prosperity from God's perspective. 
so that you can receive the help you need. You can be in a position that God wants you to be in financially and in other areas of your life as well. And so I'm going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is speaking about some false preachers. And notice what he says about them. He says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. So these are individuals that he considers corrupt in their thinking. If they're destitute of the truth, that means they believe a lie, and the lie that they believe is that gain is godliness. One translation says it this way, the New Living Translation, to them a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. The Amplified Bible says, who imagine that godliness or righteousness is a source of profit, a money-making business, a means of livelihood. One commentary called the John Gill Exposition says, this was true of Simon Magus and his followers and other false teachers who made merchandise of men looked everywhere for their gain from their quarter and acted as if there was nothing in religion but worldly profit and gain. These served themselves, their own bellies, and selfish interest, and not the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's Paul talking about here? He's talking about people who went into the ministry simply to enrich themselves. That was why they were there. They saw ministry as a way to become rich. And Paul says about those individuals in verse 5, from such withdraw thyself. So you need to stay away from those ministers. And there are some ministers that are in ministry just for money. Not, not nearly as many as some would pretend. And so he's telling us, hey, these are the folk you want to avoid. And then notice the next thing he says, because he wants us to learn something here about how we see money, how we approach this part of our lives but godliness with, what's that word there? Say it again. Contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Well, he's telling us that we ought to, instead of being covetous, which is what those guys were. What does that mean to be covetous? Well, that means ultimately to be somebody who is greedy, somebody who uh, is, is, is uh, chasing after money, who sees money as the goal, who sees money as, as the dream of their life. Instead of being covetous, we should be content. In fact, the word content here actually means to defend or ward off. Well, what am I defending or warding off? Covetousness. Covetousness. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, I'm going to read this to you from the Amplified Bible. Verse 5, it just says, let, let your character be free from the love of money. Let your character be free from the love of money. It goes on to talk about not craving money. And of course, uh, and that, that's really what he's trying to say here is that as believers we should not live our lives loving money, chasing money, you know, being greedy, believing that money is the answer to all of our problems. Money is the, the, the answer to or the key to us being happy. In fact, he says instead, having food and raiment, let us be content. And I love one definition of, of contentment that I, I found as I was doing my research, and, and it just basically talks about ease of mind. You know, somebody who was a junkie, let's say they've been addicted to drugs for a number of years, their entire world revolves around that drug, right? They might do some other things, but they're going to come back to craving that drug, needing that drug. So what happens when they don't have it? They become agitated, right? They become anxious. They have to have it so that they can, they can feel better. They can be happy. And, and, and he's telling us not to do that with money. 
Is that how some people are? I got to have that car. I got to have that house. I got. To, I just got to be out of. I'm tired of dealing with trouble, financial trouble. I've got to do this, have this deal. And he said, oh, "Don't do that." In fact, some of you you like that about a man or a woman. I got to have a man. I got to. Okay, let me let me move it on. So. Instead, he's saying, instead of being that way, have ease of mind. One translation or one definition for this, in fact, we may see this a little later, is undisturbed. I'm undisturbed about, you know, what's going on in my life. I'm undisturbed in my, in my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions. I'm undisturbed, no matter my financial state. Having food and raiment let us be undisturbed. Our soul satisfied. Now everybody in this room has raiment or clothes on. If somebody walked in here naked, we would all know it. I, I would dare say everybody in this room is eating pretty well as well. I miss that. I know how the food is down here. I miss it. <laughs> Probably everybody in this room has somewhere that you're living. In fact, I dare say that almost everybody in this room has some type of transformation, transportation and a computer in your pocket. <laughs> That's what this is. You realize what's on this used to fill rooms, right? You got it pretty good. Turn to him and tell him, you got it good. Come on, you got to add some O's to that. Tell somebody else, tell him, you got it good. Real good. Turn to somebody else and tell him, you got it good. Real good. Right now. I just want you to get a hold of this. Right now, you doing pretty good. Well, I got this going on, that going on. Okay, but you got food. You got clothes. You got somewhere to live. You got a way to get around. You, you got it good, real good. You know, I had a chance to go to Paris to minister a number of times, and one of the things I learned when I was there was that the middle class in Paris is actually equal to the lower class in the United States of America. That's the reason we're not trying to be Europe. But literally, like our lower class is what will be living, the, the standard they live at is, is what's considered the middle class there. Oh, you, you're doing pretty well. Even if you're lower class, you've got a good, real good. And God's saying, based on just looking at what you have right now, relax. Be content. Let me take it to another scripture. Go to me to Philippians chapter 4. We can see Paul doing this, or recognizing this. God is warning us not to crave what we don't have. In fact, I skipped over this. So I'll just read it to you in 1 Timothy 6. He tells us that they that will be rich or crave to be rich will fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in perdition. In other words, he's saying it's a trap. I'm a big Star Wars fan, so any Star Wars fans, you know that, where that line comes from. It's a trap. Making money your God is a trap. Chasing money is a trap. It's going to drown you. For the love of money is root of all evil. Well, we know that. I had a chance to go to the African American History Museum, I think it was last month, in Washington, D.C., and talk about a life-changing day. And one of the things that I got an even greater understanding of was that the driving force of slavery was simply the love of money. It really wasn't about skin color. In fact, the, the terms black and white weren't even used for like 100 years. It didn't even start off being about black folk. It was always about money. The love of money, the root of all. In our country, we see that, some would argue, that's part of what happened in 2020, the pharmaceutical industry. You definitely would argue that's the case in politics, right? What happens when you start living your life chasing money? You turn to the dark side. Oh, burn. Come on, it does something to you. And, 
and it destroys your life. And God's saying, instead of living your life where you got to have money, you got to have things to, as, as a fix, be content. Be thankful for where you are and what you have. Well, Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is speaking in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care of me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. This church, of course, had been given to him. Then for whatever reason, they weren't able to do it for a while. So he said, I'm glad that you're able to do it again. But then notice the next thing that he says. Not that I speak in regard to need. For I have learned, uh-oh, you got to learn this. And whatever state I am to be, what? Content. I know how to be abased. I know how to lack. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things. Well, part of the all things is I can be content through Christ who strengthens me. The Amplified Bible list talks about when it talks about contentment, once again, being disturbed, not being disturbed or disquieted. I have learned to not be disturbed. I've learned to not be disquieted. I've learned to be content. Luke chapter 12. Contentment is a choice for the believer. God has given you the ability to not fall for the trap of chasing money, chasing things for the wrong reasons. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Now, this is an interesting opening of Scripture because Jesus was preaching a message, and a guy interrupts him and says, hey, tell my brother to, to split the inheritance with me. And Jesus is like, man, I used to love those moments in the Bible where Jesus was like, man, fool, hypocrite. You know? <laughs> and he's like, man, who made me a judge over you? And then he, he uses it as a teaching lesson. I'm going to read New Living Translation, verse 15. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Once again, the King James Version says covetousness. Guard against covetousness. Watch out for covetousness. That's what this guy is dealing with right here. How would you like to, to, for Jesus to use you as an example in that way? I mean, I'd be walking on church like this, right? And that's what he's doing. He says, watch out for that. Life is not measured by how much you own. It's not what your life is about. Then he told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You know you're in trouble when God calls you a fool. You fool, you will die this very night. Then you will get everything you worked for. Who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Notice he didn't say he was a fool because he stored up well. He was a fool because he stored up well and didn't have a relationship. He was rich, but didn't have a rich relationship with God. So this guy is already rich. He ends up having a windfall, right? I think that's the right term. You know, let's just argue, he, let's say he made millions more. And he's trying to figure out what he's gonna do with it. And he says, you know what? I'm gonna build even bigger barns and I'm just gonna retire. It's kind of like an athlete who finally wins a championship. And they're like, all right, well, I'm done. I'm retiring. But you're 30, your life's not over. Thank God you won the championship, but there's more to life. And that's what happens here. He's like, well, I'm, I'm good. I'm a Retire and God says, all right, well, what, what are you going to do? Because well, who's going to have these things? Because you're dying tonight. And so there's two problems I see that this man has. One of them is when he talked about what he was going to do with the abundance that he received, there was no mention whatsoever of giving. He didn't think about anybody else. 
No one else. He, there was no mention of honoring God. There was no mention of helping somebody else, helping the poor, nothing. It was all, I'm going to store up what I have so that I can enjoy myself. And when the Bible does talk about wicked, rich people, that's what it talks about, them hoarding money. And that's tied to the second thing, which is that the man had no real relationship with God. He wasn't rich toward God, as the King James Version says. He got the wrong idea about what life was about. He thought life was about money, about possessions. And life is not about money and possessions. Life is about your relationship with God. David understood that. In, in Psalm 63, go ahead and go there for a moment. That guy was a picture of what God doesn't want us to do to make the gathering of possessions the goal of our lives. In fact, you could say it this way, God wants us to be rich in, in, in heaven, to have what the Bible calls treasure in heaven. And that comes from loving God, giving, doing good works. That's where our lives should be focused. That's why the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things be added to you, right? Well, David was the complete opposite of this man. In Psalm 63, in verse 1, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek thee. Some people get up early to seek the money. They get up early to go to, go to work, but they won't get up early to go to church. You drive an hour in this crazy traffic to go to work, but won't drive 15 minutes to go to church. I'm just going to watch it online today. Well, it's okay to watch it online when you don't live in the city. Oh, boy, y'all don't like that. <laughs> but that's not, you know, when you're five minutes from the church, you need to, okay. I'm going to let Pastor Kerry pastor. So, he said, no, I, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. What, am I, what is he looking for here? He, he's not trying to figure out where God is. He's not looking you know, for a location. No, he says, to see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. I'm looking to have an experience with you. I'm looking to have, well, I like to call it a faith experience, a moment where I'm face to face with you and, and, and I get to experience the joy that you bring and the peace that you bring and I get to talk to you and you talk to me and I get to, to, to watch you do amazing things and you use me. I want that. That's what my life is about. My relationship with you. You know, Colossians 3, 4 says, Christ is our life. And that's really what it's supposed to be. It's not, it's not supposed to be an add-on. And except, this is why a lot of Christians aren't happy, because you have your life, and then you want to tack Jesus on top of it. You want to use him as a parachute. And, and, and that's just not how you're made. The way you are made is that there is a hole in your heart that must be filled for you to be happy. And people try all kinds of things to fill that hole. They try drugs, they try sex, they try accomplishment, they try money, they try all kinds of things to fill that hole, but there's only one thing that will truly fill that hole, and it is God, and it's a true, full relationship with him. So some of us, we got a little bit of it full because instead of allowing God to be the, 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 the everything for us, we, 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 we accepted him, but we're still trying to stuff some money in there. Still trying to stuff a man in there, a woman in there, something else to, to, to make me happy. And, and I'm sorry, but you need to push those things out of that part of your life and let God be the center of your life. Because when he is the center of your life, then you will be fulfilled. When I live my life going from experience with God to experience with God. You know, those of us who are married, we probably all had the experience of, of first meeting and, and dating the love of your life. 
And it's amazing how in those moments, you, would, you can't wait to be in their presence. Come on, anybody else drove like crazy just, just, just to go hang out for 30 minutes with them? I just want to see your face. I just want to hold your hand. I just want to touch your hair. I just, I want to hug. Come on, anybody, am I the only one that has ever, have ever been there? Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? We know what that's like. It's like you can't help but think about them. You at work, you thinking about them. You hanging out with your friends, you talking about them. They tired of you talking about them. Can we talk about something else? Please. You're living from experience with them to experience with them to experience with them. And thank God God will bless you with that. But we ought to live like that when it comes to God, but on an even higher level. I can't wait to get up in the morning and spend time with you, God. I can't wait to open your word and hear you talk to me. I can't wait to get in the presence of all your people and worship you together and enjoy the Holy Spirit falling in that place. I can't wait to be used by you and telling somebody about Jesus and doing miracles. Come on. I can't. That's what I, that's what David's saying here. I'm seeing your. I want to see your power and your glory. And not one time I've seen it before, and that was not enough. I got to see it again and again and again and again. That's what my life is about. You got it good if you have God. Oh, you hear what I just said? You got it good. If you have God, turn your neighbor, tell him you got it good, real good. Turn somebody and tell him you got it good, real good. If you got God in you, you got the one who will fill your heart with the joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. The Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand pleasures evermore. You got it good. If you have God, and God wants you to understand that. You know, they say there are four elements we need to survive, water, breath, bread, and light. And Jesus said, I am the living water. I am the breath of life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. He is everything you need and you will ever need. You have it good if you have God. All right, so now Psalm 23. You may say, Pastor, I said, thought you said you was going to talk about prosperity. Yep, I am. <laughs> Our approach matters. I'm not chasing prosperity so I can be happy. I'm not chasing prosperity as though it's the goal of my life. It's not. God is my pride. I already have the, I already won. You know what I'm saying? The game's over. I already got the ring. I already got the belt. I'm already, my name is already in the hall of fame, the one in heaven, right? But you do have to live here on earth. And God has some things that he would like to do for you. Psalm 23. This is a psalm about life on earth. We know that because he says you repair a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Your enemies aren't going to be in heaven. Now they remain your enemies, right? Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That word want means to lack. It means I, I have no lack in my life. I'm not doing without. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. A couple things. What's a shepherd? What do they do? Well, they protect. They guide. They provide. A shepherd provides for its sheep. Something else. Sheep follow the shepherd. We just finished talking about following the shepherd. Christ is my life. I'm seeking after him. I'm, I want to do whatever he wants me to do. Right? So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down and green pastures. Who does it? He does it. Can I say this? Prosperity is God's idea, not yours. When he created the world, he placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, a paradise. 
In fact, the Bible says there was gold in Havilah. In fact, all the gold and wealth in this world right now that people are enjoying, God put it in the earth himself before he even created a man. No, you, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. You know, the way sheep are, the way they operate, is they, they don't lay down unless they're full. <laughs> Who's causing them to be full? The shepherd. He didn't say brown pastures. Didn't say food stamp pastures. <laughs> said green pastures. Right? Who, who's doing this? The shepherd. He leads me beside the still waters. Not the rough waters. Not No, no, no. Still waters. Jump down to verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. The New Living Translation says it's a feast. What's on this table? What's in a feast? Good food. Not a little. Not just enough so you can live a lot. You don't call it a feast when you go to McDonald's and get a small fry. That's not a feast, right? We know what a feast is in the South. We know what a feast is. He's saying, you prepare a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. So it was a feast for me in front of them because God doesn't just want you to prosper for you. He wants to show off. He wants to show the world that he's prospering you. Oh, I'm preaching better than y'all saying amen. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. It's overflow. Who's doing that? The shepherd. How many scriptures talk about overflow? Give, it'll be given to you good measure. Press down, shake and get it running over. Shall men give into your bosom. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your substance. The first fruits will be increased. Your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats, your presses will overflow. Malachi 3, God, he said, bring the tithe. I'll cause you to have more than you have room enough to receive. That's overflow. Who's saying these things? Who's making these promises? God, the shepherd. Verse 6. Surely, not maybe, surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness means a good thing. It's also translated elsewhere in the Bible as prosperity six times and wealth three times. It's even translated sweet. So, and of course the word follow here means to run after, to chase, to hunt, and to pursue. So God is saying, surely because you're following the shepherd, Prosperity or wealth will chase, hunt, and pursue you all the days of your life. Did you, did you see that? You're chasing God, and God has prosperity chasing you. Whose idea was this? God's. God's. You know, we were at my grandmother's house last week, I believe, and my grandmother makes some amazing pound cake. I can't even. <laughs> Amazing pound cake. And, uh, but we didn't eat the pound cake first. There was a whole spread of food there. In fact, I, I reached out to my daughter. I texted her. I was like, where you at? Because you know, I was trying to tell her, like, you need to come over here and get some food. Because <laughs> it's just good. It, you, know, you know when the food is good, when you text somebody while you eating? Come on, that's really where all the selfie stuff came from, right? You go to a restaurant and you take a picture like, this is so good, I got to post it, right? We had a nice little spread, and then we had pound cake. Jesus is your spread. Your prosperity is the pound cake. You get it? God said, no, I'm, I'm your joy, I'm your life. But I love you, and I want you to enjoy your life. So I'm also going to bless you 
in, in, in all of these different areas because he doesn't just want to prosper you financially. He wants to prosper you in every area of your life. He wants you enriched in every way. Although we should be content with what we have, God does want his children to enjoy having more. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul gives an instruction to rich, rich Christians, and he tells them, you know, to remember to not trust in the money, trust in God. And he says, because God is the one who gives you richly all things to enjoy. See, we love the shepherd, and the shepherd loves us so much he wants us to be blessed in this life. That go with me to Psalm 37. You got a good, real good. You know, in fact, before I go to Psalm 37, let me take you to John 16. Thank you, Holy Spirit. John 16. I want you to notice something that Jesus said. He was talking to the apostles. And really, they were talking about some deep things, you know, and they weren't even talking about this. But in Luke chapter, or excuse me, John chapter 16, Jesus says this in verse 24. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Well, wait a minute. They weren't even talking about receiving. Literally, when you read John 16, he's talking about them, them leaving and dying and rising again. And, you know, and then Jesus says, you know, he starts talking about the, the authority they're going to have as a believer. And he says, you know, you haven't even asked for anything in my name. I want you to ask because I want you to receive that your joy may be full. And typically we'll look at something like that and we'll make it real spiritual. Well, he's talking about the joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, wait a minute. If you were to back up in John chapter 15, you will notice that he mentions his joy in you. But here he mentions your joy. His joy in you is what you got when you chose to follow Jesus. His joy is in your spirit. That joy can be your strength. You know, all of that. But this is not that. This is in addition to that. Now, we've already established, if I get this without that, I don't have anything. I need his joy in me. I need him. But he's talking about in addition to that, he's saying, I want you to receive from heaven so your joy can be full, your happiness. You, in fact, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it is good and beautiful in God's eyes for a man to go to work and eat the good of what he produced. God said, that's beautiful to me. Somebody goes to work and they, they make some money and they go and they do something to enjoy themselves. That's beautiful to me. It goes on to say, it is beautiful in God's eyes for a man to even get riches and wealth and has the power to eat of it. So he's not just saying getting a bunch of money so you can give it, although that's a huge part of what God wants to do with you financially. But he's talking about you having wealth and you enjoying that. God sees you take that nice vacation you've been believing for. He thinks that's beautiful. You get that car you've been believing for. He thinks that's beautiful in its context. We've already spent 30 minutes putting it in its right place. Right? When you get those things, you know, and this, for those of you who believe in God to get married, your wedding day, God's looking down at you. This is beautiful. You got the desire of your heart. See, this is, this is what he's saying here. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. God wants you to love him but he also wants you to enjoy things that he gives you. Psalm 37. It's wild to me that he was saying this because he just finished telling them that he was going to rise again. The Holy Ghost would live in them. So they would have Jesus not just with them, but literally in their heart. And he still says, ask and you receive. Mark eleven twenty four. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, you shall 
have them. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask for what you will and it'll be done unto you. John 15, 16, he talks about, you know, how you should produce fruit. It should remain that whatever you ask, it shall be given you. There's scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. And I, I've taught on this. I spent the whole summer teaching on this at FX Church. And, and one of the things that we started with was, okay, what does the B-I-B-L-E have to say about prosperity? And the bottom line is there are so many scriptures on the topic that you literally have to like cut out half the Bible. Now, that's the argument that people have about some who've taken the grace message and gone too far is they want to take out the Old Testament and they want to take out. And so by the time you get done, you know, you got a little bit of the Bible left. And people are doing the same thing with prosperity. You're going to take prosperity out the Bible, you're going to cut out a whole bunch of it, and you got a little bit left because it doesn't match your religious philosophy. That's what we're talking about when people talk about prosperity gospel and, you know, this preacher and this. The problem isn't what the Bible teaches. The problem is what they're teaching doesn't match your religious philosophy. But we're not supposed to live based on believing your philosophy. We're supposed to live based on what the Bible says. And the Bible is clear. God wants you to prosper. In fact, there's a couple of reasons why he wants to do it. I'll just give them to you. He wants to provide all your needs, number one. He wants you to have food and raiment. He wants you to come to church with clothes on, right? <laughs> he wants you to enjoy your life. We just finished talking about that. Love him and enjoy things. We don't love things. We love him. But we enjoy things. Number three, and this is big, he wants to get it to you so he can get it through you. A big reason why God wants to get money in your life is because he wants you to be a greater blessing than you even are now. And we could spend all day preaching on that by itself, to live, to give. You are a water hose. And he wants to get the water going through you to his destination. But as the water is going through you, you get wet. In fact, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. In fact, one translator says you are far happier giving than you are in receiving. So it actually causes your joy to be full when you're constantly being a blessing. You're constantly giving. And that's one reason why God wants to get money into your hands so you can do that. And then number four, he wants to get the world's attention through what he has done for you. He wants to put a table in front of your enemies. He wants to use you like he used Solomon. Solomon was the richest man in the world, and he made sure people knew God did it. So the queen of Sheba heard about him, and she was rich herself. But she had to come and see what's going on with this man. And by the time she got done seeing how rich God made this man, and then she heard the wisdom of God in this man's heart, and she saw this rich powerful man go and, and basically get on his knees and worship the God of heaven. The Bible says her breath was no longer in her. In other words, she fainted. And then she got up and said, blessed be your Lord. Some people, the only way they're going to believe anything is if they see it in your life. And that God understands that some people will be saved just by you telling them about Jesus. Some people need to see a healing miracle, and then they'll believe about Jesus. That'll be the dinner bell. Some people need to see some prosperity in your life, and then they'll, they, they need to see that you were sick, but now you're healed. That your family was broken up, but now look how God has prospered it. That your career was dead on arrival, but now you are at the top of your industry. That you were in such deep debt, you had no idea what you were going to do, but now you get other people out of debt. They need to see what has happened in your life, and it gets their attention and now they will listen part of the challenge we have in reaching people is we need doors of utterance doors of opportunity to preach to them what does that mean moments when they're actually open to hear what you have to say and most of us if not all of us have had those moments where you're trying to tell somebody something that will save them and they may hear you but they don't hear you Come on, anybody, any parents in the room know what I'm talking about. If I had $1,000 every time I told, I dropped a nugget on my kid, and they look at me like, whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, child, you need to listen. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to protect you. But there'll be a moment, though, where they get a little older, and some things happen, and you say the exact same thing. Oh, I get it. 
And that's how it is winning people to Jesus. Some people, they just, you're waiting for that door of opportunity to open. And for some people, what will open that door is when they see what God did for you. Not just hear it, see it. And that's one of the many ways that God gets people attention so they can hear the good news about Jesus. I had a friend of mine uh, uh, that I'm uh, a mentor of mine. He was telling me about something that happened to him. I guess I might as well go ahead and tell it at this point. But uh, mm, I ain't started it now. Y'all like, you got to tell it now. He started. He just might as well finish it. So basically, he was working on a, a film project, and he talked about how they, they, I think they needed something like $50 million and, and um, you know, they were doing what they could do. And suddenly, you know, the, the friend, the guy he was working with got a phone call from someone who he hadn't talked to for 20 years. And he's talking to the guy and, and you know, okay, what's going on? What are you doing? He tells him, and he says, well, you know what? I want to give $25 million to that project. I think in be 25, he was given 25 million, and then he had some other friends that he wanted to talk to. And if I remember correctly, they ended up giving $50 million to the project from a phone call from somebody he hadn't heard from for 20 years. Yeah, somebody said, yeah, claim that, claim it. <laughs> and see, it was a kingdom project. I can't tell you anything more about that, about it. But it was, a, it was a kingdom project. It's a God thing. So, I mean, whoa! When stuff like that happens, and many of us have stories, anybody have some stories like that where God has somebody call you or God opened the door of opportunity or even somebody walked up and gave you some money. You didn't know how you were going to get gas today. And God has somebody bless you. When that happens, God is blessing you, but God also is positioning you to tell your story, which is why what we heard earlier from Lady Raquel is so right. You can't just be quiet. You are wrong to know the food tastes terrible and you say nothing. I love that illustration. I will be using that. I'm giving you credit today and that's it because that was a great illustration. Come on, if you know it's bad, you can't sit there and just watching me sniggering. <laughs> Y'all, you want to spit it up? No, no, no. You have to tell people. And when God does good things for you, you need to open your mouth and tell your story. Come on, you need to tell people what God has done for you because that will open their heart to them receiving what he really wants to do, which is to save their souls. Listen, you've got a good, real good, because you have a father who wants to give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4 says this. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You mean I could delight in him and still have desires? Yeah. This is clearly talking about desires outside of just being with him. One of the things we can see from this is there's a difference between your soul being satisfied and your desires being satisfied. You see the difference? My soul is already satisfied. I got him. I'm content with what he's given me. But the Bible also teaches that God will give you the desires of your heart. That you can be content and still desire what God desires for you. And I really love how specific this is. Delight yourself in God and he will give you the desires of your heart. Because the desires of my heart may not be the same as the desires of your heart. But God knows the very hairs on your head. He knows how many there are or used to be. <laughs> right? He's been paying attention to every detail of your life since you were born. When you were in the womb, the Bible says he was keeping track of what was happening in your development. He wants to perfect that which pertains to you. He wants to give you the desires of your heart. And he's promised to give you the desires of your heart. He wants you to live satisfied, in love with him, and enjoying the rich life he's provided for you. Because he's a father. Matthew 7, he says, you know, if you, your child asks for a bread, you, you're going to give him bread. You know, he asks for, you know, and, and, and he says, if you as a, as a carnal human being, 
know how to give good things to your children, how much more would your heavenly Father give good things to those that ask him? My, my children are a little older now. Somebody was asking about them earlier today, and my oldest, who you, some of you who have been here this long, you might remember me up here announcing her impending birth. Okay, she's 20. So, so I dropped her off at University of Michigan a couple of days ago. She's going to her third year of college. She decided to transfer home. Hallelujah. <laughs> but I remember when she was, I would guess, maybe seven, eight years old. And we had Christmas, and one of the things we do as a family is that, you know, of course, we open gifts at home, but then we go over to my parents' house. And the kids can open their gifts from their grandparents. So we're there, and I'm there, and, you know, of course, my sisters are there. And I believe their husbands, I don't know if they were even there yet. The family was there. And, and Alexis is the oldest one. She gets to open her gift first, the oldest grandchild. So she opens this gift, and she had been talking about something she wanted for a while. And when she opened the gift, it was her grandparents had got her what she wanted. And she jumped up, and she ran around the whole house. Yeah! I can still see it in my mind's eye, her running around the house, so excited because of what she got. And we all are just laughing, almost crying laughing. And one of my sisters said to me, she said, that was worth the whole Christmas. <laughs> and you know, that's how God feels when you get what you desire. You believe in God for something and God opens that door and you finally have it in your hands. It's not everything for her. She had so many other things, but in that moment, she enjoyed herself and I enjoyed that and that's how God feels when he prospers you and you're giving him praise and you're telling people, look what the Lord has done and you're able to just go ahead and enjoy what he's put in your life. You've got a good because you have a father that wants you to enjoy the desires of your heart. So no, we don't live for prosperity. We live for him. But we understand that he wants us to prosper. And that it's okay to have desires to believe God for things that he has promised us. In fact, that's part of the rich life he wants us to have. Let me give you four keys to prosper. I'm just going to give these to you quickly, five of them actually. Number one, keep God first in your heart and life. Keep God first in your heart and life. Number two, honor God with the tithe. Unquestionably, believers should be tithing. However you want to approach it doctrinally, we should be honoring God with the first 10% of what he gives us. That's part of keeping God first. Number three, give to be a blessing. Or another way of saying it is live to give. We ought to actually want to be the ones that cause others to run around shouting. And there's scripture for that. That's what Luke 6.38 is. You give. That's the point of the scripture. First word. You give. Give. Second Corinthians 9. Through your giving, it causes God to get thanksgiving right? Live to give. That's where the real fun is, when you're paying off houses. You're paying off people's cars. You're paying for kids to go to college. You, you're paying off your church. You, you're paying for, for wells in Africa. You're just blessed. You can just do it because God has blessed you so much. I, I think I've shared this with you before, but my confession changed years ago. I stopped de declaring that I was just going to be a millionaire. I started declaring I was going to give a million dollars a year. Do you see the shift? I want to give a million a year. Okay. Number four, believe God for return on your giving. It was God's idea that you receive a return on your giving. And I know some people really struggle with that one. You should give and not expect anything else as a return. That's not biblical. That sounds really religious. 
That is not the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, you give to honor God first. Yes, you give to be a blessing to others. But you also give believing God for what he promised you. Nobody negotiated God into writing Luke 638. Well, if we give, then you must give a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over return, Jesus. It's his idea. Nobody tricked God into saying, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, when you sow, you will reap. This is part of God's plan. How he gets money to you is through you being a blessing. And it's brilliant. It's brilliant. But when you give, you need to release your faith for your return. When you give, you say, okay, Father, I thank you for giving. I receive the blessing of the Lord because that's really what you get when you give is the blessing. And I ask for the return on my giving, and I believe I receive that return now. I got it. Thank you, Father. I got my running over return. I have my harvest. Every time you give, believe for your return. Every time. Don't leave any of what God has for you sitting out there because God needs it in your hands so he can accomplish his purposes. And then last but not least, work hard in your God-given assignments. The number one way God gets money to you is through what you do with your hands. Too many Christians, there's a whole other message. I almost preached this message. I really prayed about it. Uh, but the Lord wanted me to go this direction. But money doesn't fall from heaven. You got to get the bag on earth. You don't know what I mean by get the bag, get money. So we often think, oh, God's going to prosper me, and we just sit around and pick our nose. No. He promised the blessing will come on you and what you put your hand to. Proverbs 10 says that the hand of the diligent make it rich. The one that's lazy doesn't have anything. So unfortunately, there's a lot of lazy giving Christians who are broke. Well, God promised he'll prosper me. Well, God gave you a tree, but you're supposed to make a desk. Oh, you didn't hear what I just said. He's not, they're not making desks in heaven. They're making trees. But you got to use the talent he gave you, the ability he gave you to create what's in your heart. And then the money comes. So you got to work hard in your God-given assignments. And that's how God will get money to you. I'm going to end in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. Can you be rich and righteous? Absolutely. The blessing of the Lord, it's of the who? It's of the Lord. The blessing is of the Lord. God doesn't give his blessing to people that are living wrong right? No. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. And he added no sorrow with it. You've got it good. Because you, God loves you. You love him. You've got raiment and clothing and all of that. And you have a father that wants to prosper you because of how much he loves you. So yes, you've got it real good. Come on, lift your hands toward heaven. Let's just take a moment and thank God for the word of God. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for making things so clear to us. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave your son Jesus to die for us and to rise again to give us the opportunity to have a relationship with you. Thank you for how you've already provided for us in the past. We're grateful for food on our table. We're grateful for clothes on our back. We're grateful for somewhere to live. We're grateful for somewhere to have church. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be a blessing to other people. And thank you for wanting to prosper us. For all that you've done so that we are enjoying life. Father, just for those right now that are 
in a tight spot financially. That's what I believe I'm getting in my spirit. Send now prosperity. Now. 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 We thank you for it, Father. Thank you for it. You'll get the glory. We commit ourselves. If you can do this, do this. We'll commit ourselves to telling your story. The story of what you did for us. And not just financially, but the story of what you've done for us, period. Sharing Jesus with the world around us. We thank you for it, Father. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encourages you and is to help you make Jesus famous in your everyday life. We would love to be stay connected with you. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel. Download our Faith Plus app and visit us at FCCGA.com to learn more about our ministry. If you would like to support our ministry financially, you can also do so by our website at FCCGA.com or by texting FCCGA to 73256. If you would like to submit a prayer request, you can do so at our website as well. We would love to agree with you in faith, and we know you'll receive an answer according to the Word of God. Once again, thank you for streaming this message, and remember, God has a great plan for your life, and something good is going to happen to you today, so expect miracles. God bless.